0: John tells us that this a conversation between Jesus and the Jewish leaders took place at the feast of dedication in Jerusalem and that means a few months have passed uh, between verses 21 and 22 from chapter 7 all the way to chapter 10 verse 21 all of that took place at the feast of tabernacles but now John Fast-forwards to the Feast of Dedication, which was held in December. And we now know this feast as Hanukkah. In Hebrew, Hanukkah means dedication. It was a celebration of the retaking of the temple under the leadership of a man named Judas Maccabeus. If you've uh, ever uh, heard of the books of First and Second Maccabees, um, Not only do those books themselves not claim to be the Word of God, but they are an interesting read because they chronicle uh, this time period. But uh, Judas Maccabeus, in a small band of soldiers, retook the temple from a, a tyrannical evil man named Antiochus Epiphanes. And so the Feast of Dedication, or Hanukkah, was very much like our Independence Day. It was like the Jews' Independence Day. They look back on that time with great fondness. And I think that gives us some key context for understanding what is happening here. It shows us the kind of Christ, the kind of Messiah that these people wanted. It shows us the type of salvation that they thought they needed. We read in verses 23 and 24 that Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. They gathered around Jesus not to learn from him, not in humble submission to him, but to pressure him. The word gathered round here was used of a military assault they were frustrated they were tired of waiting for liberation from their roman oppressors and they essentially were saying to jesus tell us now are you the christ and what they meant by that was are you the new judas maccabeus or not Are you the one who is going to free us from the Romans? Tell us plainly. You see, they were essentially saying, liberate us now from our perceived problem on our timetable in our way. And herein we see a recurring theme and at the same time a recurring warning. They wanted a Savior who would fit into their plans. A Messiah who would do their bidding and fulfill their desires. It's very obvious that in their mind their problem was not their sin. It was not their estrangement from God. But in their minds, their, plan was, their problem was a political, external, temporal problem. And they wanted Jesus to accommodate himself to their desires and their timetable. They wanted a Messiah to do their bidding. And yet when we read the book of Isaiah and when we hear Jesus speak, especially in John's gospel, Jesus again and again emphasizes what was foretold in Isaiah. Remember in Isaiah, it's about the suffering servant, Jesus, and what is the refrain? He came to do his father's will, in his father's way, in his father's timetable, and only in that way could salvation come to sinners. And yet because Jesus would not be the kind of Messiah they wanted, we sadly read that they sought to stone him to death and they sought to arrest him. And I think this reveals a perpetual tendency in the human heart that has never really gone away. It reveals how we can attempt to relate to Jesus in this same kind of sinister way. It reveals our subtle attempts to manipulate Jesus to fit our plans and fit our desires. Instead of submitting to his plan and his will, how often we want to put him into our plans and our will. Instead of living for his glory, how often do we want him to serve us for our glory? You see, it can be subtle, but we can so easily desire to use Jesus in this way. Now, you'll notice that the remainder of the chapter here centers around Jesus' answer to their question. They essentially say, tell us plainly. And Jesus answers, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. And We have seen how Jesus, using Old Testament uh, passages and Old Testament images, has made clear declarations that he is indeed the Messiah, the Son of the living God. You see, what Jesus is saying here is that the signs that he performed not only validated his claims, but they they were his claims. He says, The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. Now we could spend a lot of time retracing. Uh, those claims. But just think back a few chapters, how Jesus is taking these Old Testament images, their Old Testament messianic images, and using them to declare that he's the Messiah. Remember his call to the thirsty to come and drink. He's saying, I am the true rock who was struck for the sins of the people, so that spiritual thirst can be quenched. He said, I am the light of the world, a callback to God's appearance as the pillar of fire in the wilderness. He healed that man born blind, fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies that the Messiah would come to give spiritual sight to spiritual blind people, that they might be saved. He said he's the good shepherd, the same divine shepherd that Jacob and David and Ezekiel spoke of, who shepherds his people into eternal life and salvation. And if there was anyone, if there was anyone who should have understood this, who should have recognized these claims, it should have been these men. These men who fancied themselves the religious scholars and experts of the day. The ones who claim to be guardians of the word of God. But we see that they are blind and deaf because they were not among his sheep. I want to turn this around this morning and look at the positive side of this. Because I think the positive side of this gives us characteristics of Jesus' sheep. What do the good shepherd's sheep look like? What are the marks of his true sheep? And it gives us opportunity to ask, am am I really among his flock? Am I really among his sheep? In other words, do I really know him in a saving way? But also, if we are among his sheep, if we have trusted in him in a saving way, am I living like one of his sheep? In what ways am I wandering from him today? And so let's let's think about the marks of Jesus sheep. Because we see first of all that if the mark of not being among Jesus' flock, is not believing in the shepherd, then that means the first primary mark of Jesus' sheep is a wholehearted trust in the shepherd. A wholehearted trust in the good shepherd, what we would call saving faith. Saving faith is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest upon Christ alone by faith as he is offered to us in the gospel. And it begins with a recognition of our hopeless condition, a sense of what our true need is. That was the problem with these Jewish leaders. They didn't recognize what their true need was recognition that we were born in sin, estranged from God, guilty, rebellious, powerless to help ourselves. The recognition that we need a mighty Savior to do a mighty work in us. You see, saving faith drives us completely out of ourselves to the person and work Of Jesus. It's only when we come to the end of ourselves and see our desperate need that we will embrace the one who has the righteousness we lack, that we will embrace the one who paid the full penalty for our sin and our rebellion. that we will look to the one who has freed us from our sins by his blood. And as we ponder this, the great question is not whether you have made a commitment to Jesus sometime in the past. But the great question is, is this the posture of your heart today? What or who are you trusting in today? Is it Jesus alone? Do you as his sheep, day by day, recognize what your need really is? Do you see your sin and your need for forgiveness and restoration and renewal? Or is your confidence somewhere in yourself, in your so called morality, in your success, in your station in life, in your intellect? Or is it in Jesus alone? Jesus speaks. Of a wholehearted trust in him that abandons any trust in ourselves and places it solely on Jesus. And another related question could be as you ponder your salvation, if you are indeed one of his sheep. Do you recognize that he has done it all? And do you desire to give all of the glory to him? Because we are told in Ephesians 2 that we can't even boast in our faith. And the reason that is, is technically speaking, our faith in and of itself can't save. Listen to what Jesus says. You do not believe because you are not of my sheep. Now, is it not true that most people put that backwards? You are not among my sheep because you do not believe. Just believe, and then you could be part of his sheep. But Jesus insists here that their unbelief was caused by their not being his sheep. And in doing so, he underlines our inability, apart from his sovereign and gracious work in us, and in doing so, he reminds us how we are saved. And friends, I think it's important that we hear what Jesus is saying and get it straight, because we live in a time when in much of the Christian church, faith has been made into a work that we can actually boast of. But our faith has no Power of its own. It is Christ alone who saves through faith. The reformers echoed what the Bible teaches when they spoke of the instrument of faith. Christ saves through the instrument of faith. I can think of it this way: when a when a talented painter displays. His or her painting in an art gallery, people don't walk through the gallery and see the painting and say, wow, I would really like to meet the brush that painted that picture. It would be odd for them to give praise to the brush. It was just an instrument. It was just a tool in the hand of the artist. It was just a means to an end. A brush is powerless without a painter. And the same is true of our faith. Faith's power resides in its author. Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. B.B. Warfield said it this way. The saving power of faith resides not in itself, but in the almighty Savior on whom it rests. It is not faith that saves, but faith in Jesus Christ. It is not, strictly speaking, even faith in Christ that saves, but Christ that saves through faith. The saving power resides not in the act of faith, but in the object of faith. We could not more radically misconceive saving faith than by transferring to faith even the smallest fraction of that saving energy, which is attributed solely to Christ himself. Jesus' sheep who have received this saving faith ought to desire to give all of the glory to the good shepherd. Because the faith that we receive was simply a gift from him that we received with open hand, we have nothing to boast in but Christ, wholehearted trust in the shepherd, saving faith in him, but secondly and, and related if if a mark of not being Jesus' sheep is a failure to hear and recognize his voice, then positively. A mark of Jesus' sheep is an inclination to the shepherd's voice. In verse 27, my sheep hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice. Sheep know the voice of their shepherd. Amidst all of the distractions and the many voices that surround us there's one voice that comes through loud and clear i do a good amount of my study in coffee shops and i usually put my earbuds in and i have a a classical music playlist that i listen to to kind of drown out all the background noise but every once in a while over the music i'm listening to over all of the voices over the music playing in the coffee shop I start to hear a song in the coffee shop that I recognize. And it, it cuts through everything else. It cuts through all the noise. That's how we hear Jesus' voice. It cuts through all the other noise. And Jesus is saying here that his sheep place a special emphasis on the words of the good shepherd. You see, it follows if we have a wholehearted trust in the shepherd, that means we will carefully attend to his voice. And despite what is taught in many circles today, this is not some private word from Jesus that comes out of our own hearts. We know the danger of that. Very often it's our own deceitful, wicked hearts that are saying something to us. But rather we hear Jesus' voice in his word. We hear him speak by his Holy Spirit in the public preaching and reading of the word. We even hear his voice through the sacraments. They are his visible word to us. Uh, Thomas Watson called the sacraments visible sermons wherein Christ crucified is set before us. His sheep hear his voice. They desire to give careful attention to it. Friends, do you hear the shepherd's voice today? Do you recognize his voice? Do you ignore the voice of strangers? Have you devoted yourself to the word of the shepherd? This is a mark of Jesus' sheep. I I can remember a, a woman in a congregation I pastored years ago who was very blunt and straightforward with me after my preaching. And she would say, I, I don't understand a word you're saying. It was, it was encouraging. But then one day, uh, after a service, I talked to her and she rattled off every point of my sermon. And then, as the weeks went on, she said to me, You know, you must have really changed your preaching because I understand it now and I get it now. And I realized it wasn't me that changed anything, it was the Spirit that implanted saving faith in her and enabled her to hear the good shepherd's voice. His sheep hear his voice. But thirdly, we see that. Jesus' sheep have an intimate relationship with the shepherd. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. And he's summarizing what he said earlier in chapter 10 when he said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. The sheep have a blood-bought covenant relationship with the shepherd that is just as intimate as the father's relationship with the son. He knows his sheep by name. And in the Bible, we need to understand that when we read words like know and knowledge, these are the words of communion and relationship. This is covenant language. Friends, do you have a relationship with Jesus today? Do you know him? Or more importantly, does he know you? And if you do have a relationship with him, do you live your life like you are in a relationship? In relationships, we talk to the person, we endeavor to learn more about them, what they're like, what they dislike, We want to know how to serve them. We want to know how to please them. When we offend them, when we fail them, we're we're grieved by that. And we want to make the relationship right. The same should be true of our relationship with Jesus. Do you talk to him in prayer? Do you endeavor to learn more about him by reading his word, by carefully attending to the preaching of the word? Do you desire to serve Him and please Him? Do you want to know, in a greater way, what pleases Him? Are you grieved when you fail Him? You recognize that you have harmed a relationship, and do you seek restoration and forgiveness and cleansing? The sheep enjoy an intimate relationship with. The shepherd. But fourth, if those not among Jesus' flock refuse to follow, then that means the mark of his sheep is obedience to the shepherd. He says, I know them and they follow me. If we trust him, if we recognize his voice, if we live in light of the covenant relationship we have with him, then we will desire to obey the Good Shepherd, not just hearing his voice, but listening to it and following it. One commentator observed that verses 27 and 28 give us this short summary of what saving faith is. He outlines these three elements, uh, the faith of the hands, the ear, and the feet faith of the hands. Jesus says, I give them eternal life. And we receive that gift with open hand. This is the wholehearted trust in the shepherd. We receive by faith, Jesus. There's the faith of the ear, the, the hearing of the voice of the shepherd. Jesus told these Jews that If they had the ears of faith, they would have already believed in his teaching and miracles. The ears of the unconverted are dead to Christ's voice, but the ears of the sheep hear and believe. And then there is obedience, faith of the foot. They follow me. Obedience to the shepherd. And this is where our claim to faith is tested. Do you say that you trust in the shepherd? Or you say you have that wholehearted trust in him? Are you following him? Do you obey his commandments? Do you strive to follow his example? Is his word precious to you? Are you being conformed to his image, humility, love, holiness? In Jesus' day, shepherds would mark their sheep with a little notch in their ear. And we could say that Jesus places two marks on his sheep the ear and the foot. You see, what we believe and how we live. Identify if we are one of his sheep. If our hands have received the gift of eternal life, then our ears want to hear and our feet want to follow. And we know that we still sin. This is, we're not talking about perfection, but is the general trajectory of your life towards greater obedience? Are we endeavoring, in the words of Paul, to walk in newness of life, not just being satisfied with the same old, same old, but desiring to grow in holiness? And when we do sin, when we do disobey, does that grieve you? Do you desire restoration? Do you desire to grow? Obedience to the shepherd. But finally, the mark of Jesus' sheep is that they have eternal life and security in the shepherd. Jesus' sheep have a spirit-implanted sense of the security the shepherd provides. They, by faith, look to the eternal life that is theirs through the life and death and resurrection of the good shepherd verses 28 and 29. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. We have Jesus seal of perfect, protection. We have the father's seal of protection, and we are assured that the Holy Spirit is working to preserve us. You see, friends, because salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, because the Father loved you with an everlasting love, Because the Son died and rose for your justification, and because the Holy Spirit has applied to you the redemption purchased by Christ, if He did all of that, we can be confident in our security. You know, it strikes me that people have a problem with the fact that they contribute nothing to their salvation. But the fact of the matter is, if you Say, and if you believe you contributed something to your salvation, then you can contribute something to losing your salvation. You see, the fact that we contributed nothing to our salvation means that we can do nothing to lose it. Gerhardus Voss, a great Dutch Princeton theologian, asked the question, how do we know that God will... Never stop loving How can we be sure of that? And the answer he gave, because God never started loving you. He loved you with an everlasting love. Jeremiah 31.3 I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Friends, just... Just as mercy and grace, by definition, cannot be earned, by definition, eternal or everlasting life is just that. It lasts forever. It is not something that can be lost. In Romans 11, verse 29, Paul said, The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. God says, I will never take back this gift from you. And yet I want you to notice the the tender care of the shepherd for weak sheep. He knows we're prone to doubt this truth. And since our faith is so weak, he expresses this as a promise that he is obligated to fulfill. They will never perish. They will never be snatched out of my hand, out of my Father's hand. We may lose many things in this world. We can lose our health. We can lose our money. We can lose our earthly position. We can lose worldly esteem. And if Jesus doesn't come back, we will lose our earthly lives. But there's one thing that we will never lose. It's our eternal life in Jesus. Since Jesus has been raised from the dead, since he has entered into his heavenly reign, there will never be a time that this promise is not upheld for us. We are assured in Hebrews 7 that our good shepherd is also our high priest and that he holds this priesthood permanently because he continues forever forever Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Security in the shepherd. These are the marks of Jesus' sheep a wholehearted trust in the shepherd an inclination to the shepherd's tender voice, following the shepherd in obedience, and that sense of security in the shepherd. Are you among his sheep today? If you're not, he will work and may you trust in him. May you believe in him and follow him. And friends, if you are among his sheep today, Let's resolve in the power of the Holy Spirit to be his true sheep, to behave like true sheep, and to follow him, to incline ourselves to his voice, to take hold of these promises of security and eternal life, and give all of the glory to him. Let's pray. Lord, you are the good shepherd. And we know that in you we will lack nothing, that you give us all that we need. And yet, Lord, how prone we are to wander from you, to stray, to muddy the green pastures that you have provided for us. Lord, we pray that in the power of your Spirit that we might look to Christ, that you might renew our trust in him. That you might open our ears, that we might hear his voice. or that you might help us to live in light of the glorious relationship that we have with him. Or may we be mindful of that day by day. Or may we follow you. May we not just be hearers of your word, but doers of your word. And Lord, may we take hold of the promise that we are secure in Christ. Lord, may that fill us with confidence and boldness as we live for you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.